Good morning, entrepreneurs. You tuned into the non-corporate network, the worldwide leader in entrepreneurship. You are watching Entrepreneurs. I'm joined by my co-host, Dustin Trout. I'm Chaz Vandemotter, and we are here to bring you the top six trending small business stories. Dustin, you want to tell them where they can uh, be tuning in or where they can check us out at? Yeah, anywhere where you can watch, listen, or read content, chances are we're there. Find us on YouTube, any uh, popular podcast channel, Spotify, iTunes, whatever it may be. Just search entrepreneurs. You'll see our, our ugly mugs. <laughs> There's one, one ugly mug, maybe. <laughs> that is yours. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's go ahead and get into our first story here. Black Friday is over. Here's why retailers are touting weeks of deals. Uh, Black Friday has been losing its clout in recent years. And uh, it's possible for shoppers to search from their couch, find what they need uh, in an effort to keep retail alive. Many retailers are extending their Black Friday weeks uh, as opposed to single day. And so, you know, Dustin, I know uh, uh, this has been a trending headline in entrepreneurs uh, as it relates to what's going to happen with e-commerce, especially with all of the Black Friday stuff coming up this year. Uh, do you think that extending these in-person retail deals is going to help to keep our Black Friday retail presence afloat? Yeah, I mean, the, the sales will definitely help. I mean, it's every year it gets longer and longer and longer. I mean, pretty soon we're going to be into a whole year of, uh, you know, it's 2021 uh, year of savings. So, I mean, <laughs> it's, they're doing everything they can to keep the, the in-store foot traffic. But I mean, I, like I've been mentioning on, on any chance I get, I mean, e-commerce is going to take over the in-store foot traffic and, and I mean, them having to do sales for an extended period of time is only showing that. I mean, eventually we're going to get to a point to where the people that do love going in stores are just kind of, they're, they're outnumbered by the people that are okay sitting on their couch ordering doesn't fit. They send it back. I mean, it's uh it's only, only a matter of time before that happens. And I can't wait to replay some of these episodes and just go see Chaz. Time is told. Okay. Well, I mean, <laughs> 64% of consumers say they're less inclined to shop on Black Friday than they were a few years ago. Uh, according to a study of over 1,500 consumers, nearly 60% said that they also had lost an interest in shopping on Cyber Monday. Those numbers have risen from 55% to 47 and 47% respectively from last year. So uh, I think it's interesting to see that it looks like by extending these deals that it's kind of losing its luster of your Cyber Monday or Black Friday uh, and turning into shopping season. Um, and Dustin, to your point of the shift to e-commerce, I mean, we, we, I talk, we talk about this all the time. I cite the same statistic every time, like, you know, in-person retail, $3 billion, online consumers, like 25% of that. And so, you know, I think it's going to continue to rise. Obviously, it's growing much quicker than retail is growing. Um, but I think there's some things you're just not going to buy unless you're in person, especially uh, the older population. And, you know, it, okay, they're on the way out. They still got 10 years of them being a big part of the consumer base. So uh, I don't think that we're going to be having an exodus anytime soon, especially in like, I don't know, clothing. You want to try it on. I know my mom's like very apprehensive about putting her credit card into any kind of website. So I think that we're still going to kind of slowly but surely wean off of uh, retail over the next few years. Yeah, no, I, th I think to your point, there's, it's always going to be there. It's just the numbers are going to flip instead of uh, e-commerce accounting for 10% of total uh, retail transactions, it'll account for 90 and then in-store will account for 10. I mean, those big things that you have to go test out and try. I mean, 
No one said that you would buy a car without even seeing it. And look <laughs> at Carvana now. So that is I mean, true. That is true. They're blowing up right yeah. now. Yeah. Um, well, uh, getting into our next story, Manhattan apartment sales tumble 46%, leaving 10,000 unsold units. Uh, this is right on the backs of an increase uh, in tax bracket for down from $10 million a year to $1 million a year. Uh, people are moving out in droves, especially from uh, areas like LA, New York City. Dustin, what does this say about uh, the future of uh, our economy as well as the future of these large hubs like New York and um, San Francisco and places that have been hit hard by the pandemic in the sense that people are just straight leaving. You know, it's tough. I mean, the cost of living is just so high. I mean, it's you got people leaving and so their their tax revenues are going down and so they got to bring it in. People are leaving because of the, the cost of living. The, the housing is too expensive. Their taxes are too high. So then what do they do? They impose more taxes on a bigger amount of people. I mean, it's it's going to happen and and I you know, it's going to be in- interesting to see what happens to the economy as a whole. I mean, we're talking before this, you look at New York and LA, I mean, they probably, you know, account for a good 30, 35% of the overall GDP. Um, but I mean as as people are realizing you can work remote, I mean, I don't need to be in Silicon Valley. I don't need to be in a high rise in New York. I can be in some little city in Arkansas and get the work done and and yeah. get it done as well as I can in other places. Probably even better without all the distractions and, and whatnot. Yeah. Um, what I'm in, interested to see is as people start shifting around more is what does that look like from a, a payroll perspective? I mean, our companies gonna be like, well, the cost of living is cheaper, so we're going to pay you less. Is that savings going to be passed on to consumers? I mean, I think there's a lot that's going to be at play here pretty soon. It's going to be interesting to see it all unfold. Yeah, no, I mean, I 100% see that happening. It's already happening with companies like Facebook. Google's announced that, you know, now you can be remote entirely forever. And so, you know, I think it's only a matter of time before we start to adjust the wages based on where you live. But what I'm more interested in seeing happen is, okay, now everyone's moved out of New York and you're living in some other area in the Midwest. Well, there's a lot more people that move there. So now they're going to raise those rates because they can. And when are we going to hit a point of inflection where it's like, well, now my rate's comparable to what it was in New York when I left. Now I'll just go back to New York because I like it better there anyway. I came here to save money and now I'm not doing that. So I think that over time, we're going to see this go full circle where it becomes just as expensive to live anywhere. And now we're going to just go back to the high rises. Yeah. I mean, that's the exciting part of uh, a sliding supply and demand scale. I mean, that's that's what makes investing, I mean, so fun is you, you see this happening. Right now, it's probably not a good time to start investing into New York and LA, but people are moving. I mean, we've mentioned how many people are moving to Arizona. Chances are you should start investing here. But at, to your point, Housing is going way up. I mean, there's more taxes on the ballot oh, yeah. this year. I mean, oh, the yeah. cost of living is going to go up and then you're going to have a mass exodus and people are going to go somewhere, but it creates opportunities um, for those people to invest into where people are leaving. But that's... Uh, yeah. Eh. No, no. You know, it'd be interesting to see. It's going to happen quick. I mean, yep. it's been happening quicker and quicker. Uh, we're getting to our next story. Is it safe for Arizonans to trick or treat this Halloween? Dustin, uh, you know, the Maricopa uh, County Health Department um, has re- has not released any specific guidelines, um, but the head of the department says they urge Arizonans to use the following protocols, which you have heard a million times: wear a mask, wash your hands, you know, social distance, uh, you know, use alcohol-based hand sanitizer. <laughs> um, you know, Dustin, do you think it's safe to be trick or treating? What does this look like this holiday season? 
Well, I mean, CDC says wear a mask, and I mean, pretty much everyone is wearing a mask during Halloween. But uh, all joking aside, I mean, it's, it's you know, we've been scrapping more and more stuff from, you know, our everyday life, and it's unfortunate. But, you know, it's unfortunate if we have to keep prolonging this. And I think, you know, let's, let's scrap the trick-or-treating for a year. Let's get back to getting things out and about. If we do that, we have people touching candy, handing it out. You can have a huge increase in uh, infections, and then more is going to shut down. I think overall we all want the same thing, and that's for everything to open back up. And I think uh, trick or treating isn't going to achieve uh, Arizona opening up to 100% quicker. But what are your thoughts? Let the kids trick or treat, Dustin. <laughs> What's next? We're gonna cancel Halloween. We're gonna cancel Christmas. People have been canceling everything, and it just conditions our society into going, "Oh, well, I guess we don't need that," you know. And now it comes around next year. Well, we canceled it last year. It was actually kind of nice. Didn't have to go trick or treat. <laughs> Let's just do that again. You know, we're just going to continue to dehumanize our society, dehumanize our people. I mean, you know, the numbers in terms of empathy that younger children in the new generation have compared to your baby boomers, just understanding what it means to be a human and how to interact with other people. If we just completely revolutionize our society into fully remote, never contact with anybody, never be around other people. You know, we're left with what? We're left to the people that are only concerned about themselves and their own well-being. And I think that that's a huge risk, especially with all the environmental problems that are going on, especially with all of the mental health problems that are going on. You know, we're not canceling Halloween. Come on. Yeah, no, I hear you. And it's, uh, you know, I'd rather I'd rather cancel Halloween and get back to everything being on track this next year than have a haphazard Halloween this this year. You know, we don't get anything under control. Things still don't open up 100%. We're still operating at 50%. And we still have a haphazard one next year. I mean, I, I too share those same concerns. Mental health, people getting out. I mean, the interactions among among people. I mean, that's that's what drives business is uh, relationships. And, and in order to have that, you have to interact with people. So I, I do hear you on that point. And that's why I, I think that we should cancel Halloween for this uh, this year. Because if we don't, Things are going to spread, and then it's going to prolong the time in which we get to 100%. And overall, you're you're then prolonging the amount of time it takes to get back to that interaction and that that learning um, as a society. But your high risks don't go. <laughs> um, well, getting into uh, uh, before we get into the next story, my mistake. Want to mention that we are partnered and powered by State 48. It's an amazing company out here in Arizona. Um, you know, it, it feels like you've got on, uh, when you're wearing one of their shirts, it just, it feels like you're walking down the runway anywhere you go. I mean, these things are awesome. Uh, really amazing partnerships with some, uh, great organizations out here that do a lot for our community, but Dustin, anything you want to mention about state 48? No, I, uh, I typically don't get compliments on my, uh, you know, fashion sense. It's never <laughs> the, the best, but when I'm wearing state 48, you know, turn some heads. And so yeah, it, it, it's great. Bro. Yeah. So thank you state 48 for uh, breaking some necks for me and, uh, yeah, check them out. Clothing for all inspired by Arizona. Check them out. State48.com. I love it. So let's get into our next story. Uber and Lyft, they are spending some big money in California to oppose an even costlier gig worker law. So Uber Technologies and Lyft are spending nearly $100 million on the November California ballot initiative to overturn a state law that would compel them to classify drivers as employees. Right now, the two uh, ride-hailing companies would face more than $392 million in annual payroll taxes uh, and workers' compensation costs, even if they were drastically cut number of drivers on their platform. 
It was calculated that for each full-time driver, it would cost the company on average an additional $7,700 a year. Should these drivers be full-time employees? Should they be contractors? I mean, $392 million in payroll taxes, they're spending one-third of that just to prevent it from happening. I mean, they could just not waste their time and just give in. But I mean, what are, what are your thoughts on, on this? Yeah, this is a tough one, you know, and it's been a back-and-forth battle. I'll tell you one thing I think probably shouldn't have happened is Uber came out and said, yeah, they're employees. We're going to pay you a cash, cash stipend for health insurance. We're going to give you a full-time schedule and you're going to become a real employee. And then a month later, it's like, actually, we're going to spend $100 million <laughs> repealing what we just did. Uh, so I think that, you know, timing is a little off there. Uh, it's it's tough, you know, it's tough. I, I mean, I view Uber and these different gig economy type of jobs as something where it is kind of a supplement income. And if you are doing it full time, then you do have the leeway to do it whenever you want. And, you know, that is the essence of being a contractor. So I, I the other thing I look at is like, I know Lyft has really taken a position of, you know, we're not going to do it the way Uber does it. We're going to have better drivers. We're going to have a better experience. And now they're pooling their resources together. But again, you know, this tax bill looks high, but at the end of the day, Uber made 14 billion last year. <laughs> Lyft made almost 4 billion last year. This scratches the surface of the expenses that they're going to have to take on in order to make their employees happier, uh, in turn generating more revenue. I mean, you know, they keep burning money doing this. We're going to be back to taxi cabs for you know it does. <laughs> Bring on the taxi cabs back. The thing I understand is why does it have to be one or the other? I mean, it's going through benefits and everything that we're going through. I mean, it's uh, you can you can have when people get these benefits that they have to work a certain amount of hours, 30 hours, whatever it may be. But if it is more of a full time, then they become an employee and they have to pay the payroll. I mean, why why is there a, why are they a circumstance instead of the, the norm of what other businesses have to operate? I mean, um, you know, once they start working a vast majority of their their overall hours as an employer, or an employee, then you have to be, you can't keep them at a 1099. You have to turn them into a W-2 or whatever it may be. So I don't understand why there's such a huge, it has to be employees or they have to be contractors. It should just be like everything else. Um, but to your point, it is very interesting that they said they're going to pay for health benefits and all that type of stuff, signaling that they're treating them as employees. employees and now they're, they're spending all this money to, to prevent that. Stock price is not looking good right now. <laughs> <laughs> so going on to our next story, talking about stocks. So Airbnb, they aim to raise roughly $3 billion in an IPO. Um, the company's current plan is to make its filing public um, available after the November um, presidential election, targeting an IPO sometime in December. Uh, sources of this do caution that the timing is subject to change based off of the overall election. I mean, whoever gets elected is obviously going to change regulation. And so they'll adjust their timing accordingly. Uh, the company could achieve a valuation of uh, more than $30 billion with this IPO, uh, which is substantially higher than the $18 billion Airbnb valuation that was given back in April when they raised $2 billion in debt from investors. And so um, they had a huge crash back in April of people searching. Since then, they've, they've been a huge surge in uh, people looking looking for Airbnbs as people have to kind of hunker down. But I mean, Chaz, what are your thoughts? Should people be buying this stock? What's the valuation look like? I, I can't wait. I'm not a, I'm not going to tell you whether to buy the stock or not. I'll <laughs> let you decide there. But let's think about this. We've almost doubled the valuation in six months 
You're telling me we're doubling Airbnb's valuation in six months. You're telling me that Airbnb's valuation is substantially larger than Hilton. It's almost double Hyatt. It's almost triple other like Marriott. You know, this is absolutely, I guess, double Marriott and triple Hyatt. Uh, and so I look at this and I go, you know, I understand that there's a, there's a lot of hype around Airbnb. It's a great product. I agree. They don't own any real estate. Okay. And also you're banking on people going and temporary living, temporarily living in other people's homes during COVID. Uh, there's a reason that this crashed so much. I just taking on $2 billion of debt and then magically turning your valuation almost double in six months is a very large baby. red flag. It's a very large red flag. So, uh, you know, I love Airbnb and what they're doing, but I just think that this is a little ironic that you're seeing this happen. And, um, you know, it seems like a lot of smoke and mirrors to me, Dustin. Yep. No, I hear you. I mean, talking about numbers, it's that valuation is doubled in that time frame. I do want to mention that, I mean, I'm huge on data and, and looking at what people are searching. The search volume for people looking to rent Airbnbs doubled since that time frame as well. So one could imagine that probably their revenue has doubled as well. So the numbers seem to to line up. I mean, you, you bring up the hotels. I mean, it's uh, I, I do hear you that it might not be as safe to go into an Airbnb, but at the same time, let, let's go into a, a Hilton where there's thousands of people under one roof and you have tons of people that are touching doorknobs and sneezing and, and whatnot. Yeah. I mean, it's it, people still want to go out and experience a quote unquote vacation. Granted, I mean, it, it used to be a Hilton and staying somewhere nice. Now it's someone else's three bedroom house. I mean, it, it it's not as fun, but that's the way things are trending. And so. Whether it's a yeah. good stock to buy or not, I'm not sure, but that valuation is, is a bit crazy. Search volume is a big deal. Yeah, just I, I don't know how you can yeah. blink your eyes and double your valuation <laughs> when you just took on $2 billion in debt. During a global pandemic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So going on to our, our third story, we'll bring it back here to Arizona. So Arizona ranks third for economic momentum. Been talking a lot about Arizona's economy, how many people are moving here, uh, manufacturing exploding. But in terms of overall momentum, uh, we do rank third um, behind Utah and Idaho, I believe, is the second one, which is, is a little surprising. Um, but this is based off of personal income, employment, and population. So a couple different variables here. So it kind of takes the people moving and, and whatnot. It's more of an apples to apples comparison. Um, the state's median household rose by 15.2%. From 2017 to 2019, compared to the previous uh, uh, period, and Arizona is fifth best when it comes to uh, income growth uh, in 2019. So overall, numbers are great. We're number three. When are we going to become number one? You know, I, I think uh, going back to what we were talking about earlier, as it relates to this exodus from the, these large cities, you're seeing a lot of this. And you know, with what happens, Dustin, when you have a lot more people moving. Well, it gives you more opportunity to creatively tax people. I mean, we talked about 208 and uh, what that might do to the income tax. And uh, I think that, uh, you know, it's great to see how much it's growing. I just hope it's not exploited because, again, you know, when people are moving here for certain reasons and then those reasons <laughs> dry up, no pun intended, uh, it's uh, it becomes something where, you know, are you going to keep people here for the long haul, which is ultimately the goal um, if you want to grow uh, a city like this. So uh, I, I love seeing the numbers as high as they are. Um, but, you know, I, I just hope that we can uh, find ways to uh, keep Arizona as awesome as it is now as we 
have more people come into our population. Yeah, that's I think is going to be inevitable. I mean, we already have a ton of ton of people from other cities, very few Arizona natives. Um, but I mean, as as prices go up, I mean, I was talking to someone that they moved here because uh, for for the price here or the price they're looking for uh, in California, they could have bought eight houses out here and they were able to get much bigger house. <laughs> I mean, so to, to us Arizonians that have been living here for a while, I mean, it's getting expensive. It's getting, right. but to other people, this is, this Still, is dirt cheap. Yeah, and yeah. so, I mean, it, to your point, it will get that way, but that's where the ebbs and flows happen. That's where real time, um, you know, numbers come into play and it's yeah. it's eventually people will then just just leave well, it but. is cool though because i mean we talk about this too there's a lot of cities here in arizona it's not just phoenix it's yep. like there's eight different places that are all growing rapidly around the valley and so i think if there's this kind of dispersion in that sense that you know we can simultaneously be growing a significantly across multiple different areas of arizona yeah and i think to get to the numbers to where we we, we hit a peak and have people start leaving. I mean, New York is how old LA is how old. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it'll be a 20, 30, 40 year run before we start getting to that, that implosion point where it's like, yeah, it doesn't make sense to, to live here. Let's, let's go somewhere else. But no, I think, uh, I think you're, you're right about that. Um, well, you know, they, these have all been exciting stories, Dustin. It's been a minute since we've been on here. So, uh, we had a lot to talk about. You know, one thing that just stands out to me is this whole Uber Lyft thing. I mean, you know, we've got a gig economy that's growing rapidly, rapidly, rapidly. And something needs to be, uh, precedent needs to be set by some sort of a gig economy style business. Um, and, you know, Uber and Lyft, we're seeing their stance on how they want to handle this moving forward. You know, you got DoorDash and a bunch of other companies, Instacart. Uh, we'll see who sets the precedent that is then kind of followed by everyone else. But I don't think it's going to be the precedent that's being set by Uber and Lyft right now. Yep. It'll be interesting to see, you know, my favorite was uh, the, the Halloween here in Arizona, you know, it's don't want to deprive the kids of, of the candy, the fun and, and everything, but also don't want to deprive, you know, citizens and, and everyone, you know, in a whole nother six, eight, 12 months before we can get back yeah. just because we want to, uh, to go trick or treating, but... wear masks, social distance, wash your hands. <laughs> Come on. Come on. Well, thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, again, you have been watching uh, Non-Corporate Network, the worldwide leader in entrepreneurship. This has been Entrepreneurs. Again, my name is Chaz Vandemotter. Dustin Trout. Your job is to tell a business owner about us. If you got a friend, if you got a relative, somebody that owns a business, somebody that's interested in business, we want to keep them woke. We don't have a paid agenda here. It's all right off of the cuff. We do our research and we bring you the things that really matter to small business owners. So. Uh, we appreciate you guys sticking around. Check us out, uh, podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Check us out at NCM Broadcast. We're all over social media, blah, blah, blah. We appreciate <laughs> you guys being here, though. Uh, we will be back on Wednesday. Until then, have a great day. <laughs>